Uh, so yeah, it'll be kind of neat to to see the differences. Um, be getting laid versus not getting laid. <laughs> I, I think it was probably just a both a lot of not getting laid. <laughs> oh fucking Dallas sports team that isn't just a fucking soaking pile of shit. I hate that fucking city for sports. <laughs> you can hate the Cowboys all you want, man, but don't hate on anything else. You can have the Cowboys all oh, day. Really? The, you, you, I, I can't hate, hate the, the Stars? That's my fucking team that you stole. <laughs> and I know you know this because you like to dig me for it. I wasn't. Uh, I should have worn my jersey. I. Uh, I uh, it's too hot here today. It's still. It's, it's fall, but it's not in Texas. You know. So. Oh uh, right. Uh, yeah. 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 That's why we should have more black people on our team because you know we <laughs> practically have a heated hockey rink. <laughs> That's what Chris Rock said. As soon as they build one, they're going to take that shit over too. Oh no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say there aren't very many more that you can even acquire in the league right now, but uh, it's getting it's getting a little more diverse. But I've always been fine with hockey being a niche sport. By the way, I kind of like it that way. I I sure. literally. Th- in my gut, I think it's wrong that hockey is played in cities where ice doesn't naturally form for uh, at least a month of a year. Like, I mean, don't you think that Vegas Vegas having a franchise is way more offensive or some place in Florida, especially the ones who won this year? Uh, besides us, because we do get snow and ice sometimes. As far as the weather thing, sure, but no, they did. They, uh, Vegas only stole two of our great players and then went to the Stanley Cup the first fucking the first year. Fucking year. Um, uh, <laughs> where you guys literally took took my team and then won the cup a couple years later. So, uh, yeah, with that yeah. with that piece of shit Brett Hall too. Fuck him. Uh, oh, he's one of the greatest ever. Yeah, but uh, anyway, well, I would like to welcome to the program. Uh, uh, Joey Haney, of course, of Rock Strikes 10. Joey, welcome back to the show. Well, first time on the sidecast, whatever, never mind. But, of course, you've been on the, the Cobras and Fire program. How are you today? I'm alive and doing well. Uh, thank you so much for asking. And it's great to be here on whatever, never mind for my first appearance. I only go on shows that I like. <laughs> I've heard you say that before. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you this. I, I mentioned it, like, I think the very first episode, maybe a couple more into it. I wasn't sure if if this was going to be something that I'd actually be able to, to finish. Just be, because record reviews typically aren't my favorite thing to do. You know, we do it on Cobras and Fire, but it's scarce enough that I don't have to really dive into it. But this has really been a lot of fun. Um, talking with different people who bring different kind of aspects to it, but the, but now we're getting into like you know basically from Allison Chain's facelift at fourteen, we are getting into the gold mine of grunge. Even the even mm-hmm. the stuff I hate that's coming up, it's going to be fun to talk about because of how much I hate it. Uh, sure. So yeah, this is uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm I'm of course happy to have you uh, you know involved in this project. So um, 
you mentioned Siamese Dream. You know, a, a, a lot of the people that that are that got slotted right away, they, they they jumped on records when I first threw this idea out there. Even before I explained what it was, I was just saying, "Who wants to yeah. join a grunge show?" And then, like, mm-hmm. I, like about six or seven of you, I want to do this record. And I, if I remember right, you actually you said I'd like to do Siamese Dream if I could. Yeah, absolutely. Anything involving the pumpkins, I'm happy to do. I. I try to be the I, I kind of put myself out there a lot over the years as one of the big pumpkins ambassadors of rock podcasting, especially uh, for the shows that lean more hard rock and heavy metal uh, because they get some love, but I don't think they get enough love. And yeah, this is a grunge show, but we're definitely here today to review the greatest grunge non grunge album that's on this list easily, oh, in my opinion. I think it's a very grungy record. Mm, okay. Um, but yeah, back to this record, Siamese Dream, coming in at number 12 on uh, Rolling Stone's uh, Greatest Grunge Albums of All Time. This record came out in July twenty or July of 1993. Um, of course, it's Smashing Pumpkins. I think I just said uh, Siamese Dream only. I think, I, now the problem is that Rolling Stone has their 500 Greatest Album. I believe this is the first one that actually f- makes the, the top 500 of all records that have on, on the list. Now... It's just hard to confirm that because it's hard to just to get a clean list. You know, it's all it. I can find the article is all or links to back to that article where it's over. You know, ten pages and fifty albums with a paragraph of, you know, shit to to describe it. And then as you scroll, everything freezes and you know it's just all that kind of nonsense. And I just don't have the time. But yeah, this comes at yeah. number three sixty two on the greatest albums list of all time. Plus, they're updating it every five years. They got to make sure they get the new fucking Lizzo on there. So. <laughs> Not hating on Lizzo, but I think it's funny that this record. I I don't think I don't think this record moved an inch on the previous list. You know, from it, uh, it's it stayed on the exact same number, from what I understand. <laughs> so, and I, by the way, for the record, I gave up on the new Rolling Stone list because I, I I looked through it, but I gave up on the list when I realized they had zero Alice Cooper albums on it. And uh, so fuck them. So uh, Doc, I'm not great at the, the the album titles with Cooper, but the third record got bumped off. Uh, oh, Killer? No, not or Killer. Or Love It to Death? Love It to Death, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right, the third record. Yeah, sorry, my bad. Um, yeah, I guess it did because uh, he that did not make the there. list at all. Yeah, I mean, I'm, well, you know, they got to put Arcade Fire on there and, uh, <laughs> and, and 100 Woko records. Not shitting records on Arcade and, Fire, are you? <laughs> I don't even know if Lizzo Ooh. made the list, but she fucking will. Goddamn Cardi B's going to be on there in five years. Oh, yeah, just wait for it. That's going to really so. fucking set off Michael Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, back to this masterpiece of an album. Uh, yeah, so this was recorded over quite a big chunk of time. According to Wikipedia, it was December to March. Uh so you're talking a, a, a four-month stretch. Now, there's a lot of articles and stuff on this. Butch Vig talks about how long the sessions were. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, how, how much do you know about the story of this? You know, uh, like, excuse me, uh, James Eha and Darcy were apparently a couple who broke up. And, of course, yeah. Jimmy Chamberlain's smacked out. And I don't know. And then, uh, you know, this is where Billy the Control Freak comes up is what I understand. Yeah. And, you know, Billy gets a lot of flack because he is the leader of the band and I am going to defend Billy quite a bit. Uh, It is something that he's even admitted uh, over these last few years. And I guess it's easier to admit it now in hindsight and retrospect and old age and just perspective. But he's like, you know, it it was shitty of me to do. Uh, 
there was that they were coming in over budget and they were coming in late on the record. So him performing the material on the album, it just, it was a necessary evil. It needed to be done. Um, especially if, you know, the other members aren't going to show up as much, which is apparently something that might've been going on here and there. Yeah. And uh, to be fair, as much as I love Jimmy Chamberlain, he wasn't showing up sometimes cause he had his issues, but you got to have Jimmy. I mean, you got to, he's, he's key, but yeah, um, I do know, that Darcy and James broke up apparently at the Reading Festival prior to the recording of this, which is the infamous appearance where Kurt Cobain comes out on a uh, on you know in a wheelchair. Yeah. Uh, so that was the actual gig where they broke up supposedly. I, I love the idea of that too. It's just like you know, like what is it? Like what 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 was the catalyst for the fight that were like they were? We are now officially broken up here at Reading. Okay, I want to make sure that it not like it tomorrow or anything like that no it's something about like the 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 the, the craft services table or i don't know yeah it, it would be yeah. funny if it was like what what's what's some ridiculous like rock star at a festival thing that a woman could be like a typical like if we if we want to be misogynistic and, and stereotype a uh, darcy and, and make her the bad guy like what would james do that would just piss piss her off like like maybe he went and like got himself like a like a uh like some kind of uh rap and didn't even think to ask if she was hungry it's always craft services isn't it that's always where it goes wrong <laughs> what do you or maybe it's the classic uh uh couple fight what would you like to eat i don't know anything's fine and oh. then of course the first thing he suggested i don't want that and then it was gone that's it yeah. here at reading baby we're done let's go play <laughs> it's weird though don't you think i mean like fleetwood mac carrying on after the, the, there's a breakup of two couples in that band the, the, these these i don't know i just i don't even understand yeah, and then why. they swapped yeah fuck god it's just well and then like you know even like the beatles like you got fucking you know uh paul mccartney writing songs about john lennon's kid who john's being a shitty dad to yeah. it's like how can you be in a band with that guy it's just like what the fuck, bro? He's like, well, you, you you haven't really been there for Julian now, have you? So I wrote this song for him. Yeah. There's only uh, there's only one song about somebody that we know on this album, but we'll get to that towards the end of it. I thought all, all the songs were about Courtney Love. She said that every song on here is about her, except for uh, um, the one about his brother, uh, Space Boy. Yeah, of course she would say that. And, you know, I'm, but... One is very much about her. Okay. So. Well, good enough. Well, um, a little bit more then. So the album was produced by Butch Vig. Uh, I'm, I'm only going to mention the engineer because he's coming up uh, as kind of a bonus to this uh, show. He's coming back to the program, Jeff Tomai. Tomai. Oh, my God. I can say his name fine unless I get a microphone in front of me. I swear to God. Jeff Tomei is coming back to the program. Yeah. So hopefully we'll Just play Turbo Lover. Just play Turbo Lover and you'll get it right. Nice. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We touched on Jimmy being, you know, dealing with uh, kind of his first wave of what we ended up getting to know a lot more a couple years later with uh, his heroin addiction. Now, Billy wrote, uh, Billy has been on the record as saying that he was dealing with some writer's block. I don't know if it was in the studio or leading up to this. I've always felt when musicians talked about writer's block, first of all, it was always somebody who had a a bit of that douchey edge, kind of like Billy does. And I, by the way, I will defend him on a lot of stuff you're, you're, you're 
willing to as well. But, you know, he's definitely is kind of a douchebag at times. I've always felt that was really just a lazy, like a way to be self-important and just say, I don't have any ideas. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't know that writer's block is a real thing is what I'm getting at. If so, I've had it for about a decade. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand. Whatever he went through, whatever it was, whatever caused him to get to these songs, I think regardless, it was worth it because Gish is an okay record. I, I like Gish okay, but I, I'm a Pumpkins fan, and I could say that Gish is definitely you know lower tier on their must have list. There, there's some fine songs on there. Um, you know, it's cool. Way and better than melancholy. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Melancholy is on my desert island list. Melancholy got me through high school, so uh, I will we, fight We don't agree, that. but I mainly bring it up because I uh, I like talking shit about Melancholy with when you're around. Yeah. So. Oh, I know you do. I know you do. It's it's a knife in my heart every time, just so you know. <laughs> uh, you're shanking me bad, Vaco. Uh, but yeah, and Gish is fine, but, you know, at least Billy had the wherewithal. That, that, at least he is self-aware. You talk about self-awareness in this genre, and he definitely had it. He understood that bands were getting signed from the underground yeah. and expected to sell records. You know, Nirvana, you know, they just sold a ton of records. And, you know, it was a year into Nevermind taken off that now it's like, okay, we're signing a major deal now. So we got to step up and think about the whole Courtney Love factor. For those of you who may not know, Billy was also in a relationship with Courtney Love. Prior to her marrying Kurt, it was on and off. It was toxic, just like you would expect. And to which uh, uh, Kim Gordon from uh, 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 Sonic uh, Sonic Youth said, "Sonic Youth, ew." <laughs> and, yeah, and you know what? When exactly. she says that, I don't know who she's talking about because I, for me, it goes both <laughs> ways. It's kind of like I, I think sure. they could both do worse. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, Billy knows how to write about relationship stuff yeah but to me he's always and i i hate saying this because i love the guy and i would love to have him on the show but he comes off as like not a sexual being you know like asexual almost very much and i don't mean that that doesn't come from a place of hate it's just he's like this entity uh so but yeah so courtney loves obviously more sexual on on the surface ew uh, ew <laughs> ew easy i'm eating here but, yeah but it's not, uh but- like <laughs> yeah yeah i don't want to lose it for later that's just yeah don't go there yeah so we've been through you know grade school we've been through early adulthood we understand the having a arch nemesis and whether or not billy corrigan thought of cobain as an arch nemesis he definitely thought about him as competition sure but now you have to double down on that so he's really got to come up with something great he's got to come up with something that'll either be equal to or outdo Nirvana and also make her regret it if he's missing her that bad. So I think that's where the pressure and writer's block comes from. If I could try to get in his head a little bit. Now would Courtney have been with Kurt by this point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, like Kurt Cobain, she's done with, uh, done with old Billy and she's, uh, uh, riding high on the Nirvana money right now. Oh, easily. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I wasn't sure in the timeline there. Uh, but yeah, the, I, when you when you throw in that juxtaposition, that's kind of fucked too. You know that like basically his ex is now with the most successful band in his, this kind of newly developed genre that he's thrust into. Yeah. So 
I, I, I would never be somebody to doubt somebody that comes out with something as personal as I was going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. But Billy has admitted to this many times that he was planning on killing himself prior to this because right. number one, all the pressure number two, like apparently like he was showing signs that like people say that there's signs of this. He was giving away a lot of stuff and uh, to his friends. And that's apparently something you do when you're going to kill yourself. He was like, I was going to throw myself off a ledge or a bridge or something like that. And what kind the day of stuff? He was supposedly re- yeah. No, what what, and, what uh, kind of stuff? Th- oh, like the stuff he gave away? I don't know. <laughs> probably equ- probably equipment and records. Forehead VCR. <laughs> Just, that was a big deal yeah, back right. then. <laughs> yeah. You can pause on news yeah, v- scenes with those things. Yeah, VHS copies <laughs> of whatever. Yeah. Of course, with a grained in there for the nude scene, you know, where the bad quality shows up because everybody's been pausing it and slow motioning it. You get we, some we videotapes from him, like some porn, and you, and you can see like the distorted video from where he paused too much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. no, we, we all we all know. Let's try let's try to admit that. Let's let's be honest. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, that all happens. He doesn't kill himself, and supposedly the next Thankfully. day he writes he writes today and something else on the record. I forget, but. You know, so whatever he went through, and I just don't think because Kurt hadn't killed himself at this point, so I hate to say it this way, but killing yourself wasn't in vogue yet, still. And uh, so the fact that he admitted it prior to that, I I just think that it probably is an honest thing that he was going through. So, uh, you know, uh, good art is born out of a lot of pain, usually. So I'm going to give it to him on that. And, you know, I will too. That, that, that's, um, that definitely wasn't what I was referring to when I called him a douchebag. It was more kind of stuff that would happen later on. Uh, around this yeah, time, no, I, uh, I, I, I don't think I really had strong feelings about him one way or the other. I did really enjoy Gish, and um, I was looking forward to this record. But uh, I will circle back a little bit to your point on on like him like kind of stepping in and recording all Ehas and Darcy's parts in the record. I, I'm guessing it is 90% of it, you know what I mean? I'm not sure... Um, I obviously I don't know, and 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 I'm I believe when I talked to Jeff the first time, he commented on it that he wasn't exactly sure, but it was it was mostly Billy. There is yeah. a probably real, I don't know how to put this. Like I, I I know sometimes people probably roll their eyes when I talk about being in a band, but as far as having relationships and things of that nature, it doesn't really change just because you know people are still people. You know what I mean. And mm-hmm. it is, I remember like, cause like when I heard the, heard stories like that back then, I'm like, man, if people in my band, like didn't want me to play on it, I don't know that I, I could fucking handle it. First of all, I would fucking be there, you know, but I didn't really put it all together. Like I just assumed everybody was like me, but as you get older, you start to realize that would never actually happen to me. If that was happening to me, that means the rest of the band was doing a record without me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I was just, I was more uh, of a driving force. And it is, I've, I've worked with a lot of different musicians and I've seen a lot of turnover. And the reality is people, doesn't matter how successful you get, trust me, they, some people just don't care as much as others. And I don't think yeah. when it comes to getting stuff done in the studio, that should be something that is a factor. Like I have to work around your kind of like kind of the Ace Freely thing where he wants to go play cards. Mm-hmm. Fine. We're going to bring in this guy. Now, as much as I think that might've been the first domino that let those guys are all fucking knuckleheads. Anyway, it was going to yeah. fall apart, but yeah. 
I'm just saying. And, and unlike unlike a lot of uh, oh sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh no, then. go ahead. And unlike uh, a lot of those bands, like uh, the f- bands that famously replaced musicians on their records, Kiss, uh, Beach Boys, uh, the one I was going to find, the Rolling Stones, even. All of the instances of those things happening are by the time the group has become basically a business. Right. And I hate saying it like that. It, it, it you know makes it not as cool. But by those points that you hear about those things happening, the Wrecking Crew doesn't come into the Beach Boys picture until like a few years into it when they're like already established. Kiss the same thing. Stones the same thing. It's it's a bit business at that point the pumpkins are still a new band with one album under their belt right they've done a couple on of tours with each other yeah exactly on an indie label so now it's their first major deal and it's already becoming this thing where he plays on pretty much the whole record at least all the guitar parts and the bass parts uh so it's a different uh, you know kind of factor than all those other bands because i think those other things can be almost not forgiven but Money solves a lot of problems, and yeah. they don't have any right now. And, and to be honest, they weren't a big enough of a name where he couldn't have considered just going, "I, you two are gone. You know what I mean? Uh, no. You're just not up to the job. I, I think that's what we found out musically from, from both of them, that they just couldn't stay on par with him in the studio as far as playing some of this shit. And to me, that says a lot in, in the, the fact mm-hmm. that, and I think he made some salient points there talking about it. As much time as they spent on this, it, it, think how long it would have taken if, they, if he would have had to you know, kowtow to their feelings and things of that nature. And like I said, you probably could have just fired Darcy and fired James Eha or one or the other. And and I, really- I honestly definitely would have fired Darcy because I'm not a fan of Darcy's. There's a lot of nostalgia for her, and yeah. I see people bitch about her not being in the band to this day. I honestly think James does deserve to be there. Okay. And man, this is such a cliche. I hate to bring it up, but there's those guys that are there for a vibe and have a certain thing, even though they're kind of minimalist that add to the band, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, and I didn't really get James's thing until like way later. And I saw him on these last few tours and I totally understand it now. And uh, James actually has some co-writes on this album that, that I'm like, okay, he is super important to this band. Darcy, not so much. So, yeah, I, I I know a lot of guys. Uh, a friend of mine that might come up throughout the the conversation here. It it seemed to be like almost this creepy thing for guys to get really into girls who are bass players in bands. I remember White Zombie yeah. kind of broke around this time, and uh, a much better bla- bass yeah. player, by the way, Shania Salt. Uh, and hotter yeah. too, if you're asking me. Oh, yeah. uh, but you know, it was just kind of this thing because even like every bass player after this, didn't he like find some other chick to, to be the kind yeah. of stand in, yeah. not playing and, the studio girl? Yeah. Well, and by the way, Melissa Oftamar was a way better member for that band because she was dynamic on stage. She had a rock mentality, and I think she fit in really well. So, I, I mean, I would have no idea because after that pile of shit melancholy came out, I had checked mm. out of the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, so yeah. I, I, I actually I, gonna lay in the you're gonna lay in the good point and you're still wrong. <laughs> I actually really wanted to see the 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 last tour they did. Um, so hopefully when uh, COVID breaks, uh, they'll kind of do another thing because I never. This is a band I never did get to see live, but my window of fandom for them was very brief, much like uh, kind of reminiscent to the Black Crows or Pearl Jam around the same time. There was like a couple albums that was like, oh my god, this is my new band, and then they did 
they clearly went a direction that just wasn't for me. And I, I that's probably a, a better way to say it because really melancholy, a lot of if you want an honest opinion on that, I don't like it. It's just never really connected mm. with me. It's it's really arty. But I don't know that I could actually say it's bad. You know what I mean? It, it's just to me, it's just Billy wanted to go in a direction that really wasn't meant for me. Suddenly, his target audience didn't include me, and I, I really don't think that's a, a crime. I think sometimes people punish artists a little too heavy for wanting to be something more than what they they get put in a box for. And then you come off like the hipster Weezer fan or a Roxy <laughs> Music fan who give up after the first two records. I see how it is. Yeah, well, the, not with every band, some bands, but yeah, the uh, the, the Black <laughs> Crows were a great raw rock and roll band that clearly were begin- trying to become fish. And I'm like, well, nice knowing you. Good so. point. <laughs> that was my. That's still my big concern with the Glorious Sons. As much as I love them, I think there's just a little bit of that. I'm like, fuck, they're gonna just turn into that goddamn barefoot hippie shit. <laughs> oh, but uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, this is basically uh, to me. This record is is Butch Vig and Billy Corgan with with some contributions Jimmy. from other people. Well, yeah, you got Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy is, is, so, is super important. Is an elite level drummer, and he is definitely key to their sound. And I have a lot of nice things yeah. to say about uh, him throughout this too. So, I think it's time to get I into the record. Are, are you ready, or is there any little more tidbits you like to throw at me? Yeah, let's hit it. Let's get that drum roll going. Well, the album oh. opens with Cherub Rock. tell you what i'll do a little background on me so i can just get this out of the way yeah. as far as like and i should have done this on the front end i apologize before we got into the record but <laughs> this is actually hey, important I, for- I have one rule going forward because we, we've both done it i think two to three times no more apologies but actually it's relevant for this song for me to get into my personal history because i wasn't a fan of the smashing pumpkins right away I didn't hear Gish when it came out. I was I was a little young, you know. I was I was hearing some of those, you know, quote unquote, college rock alternative bands because it wasn't grunge yet. That's for damn sure. And 
I remember reading about them. I had like a 10 year subscription to Rolling Stone because my mom thought she was going to win Publishers Clearinghouse for a decade. So <laughs> that ha- that happened. Uh, but I remember hearing about this band, the Smashing Pumpkins. And of course, I did what a lot of people did. That's a stupid name. Uh, I'm not going to listen to them. And, you know, it's yeah. a stupid thing to do, but that's what I did. And I remember like when they started kind of coming up, I was like, oh, that band with a stupid name. And I remember like I remember seeing them on the cover of Rolling Stone for Siamese Dream. I remember Darcy. I still remember this and I still have the issue somewhere because now I'm a fan, of course. But Darcy's wearing her stupid uh, Grover shirt from Sesame Street. <laughs> stupid. And I was like, ah, oh, this is ironic hipster bullshit. Like, fuck them, you know. But uh, basically, this is the song that started to pique my interest on the band. I was resisting. And then even when I when I heard today, I was like, ah. When I heard it on the radio and, you know, whatever. And I actually didn't have MTV at this time because they took it off of my uh, city's cable uh, because of, you know, the religious people. Oh, nice. Uh, but so there was a buildup for me to, like, get interest in here. So there's two things that were a factor in me getting into the pumpkins. Uh, first one was girls because I was just uh, about to finish up junior high and getting into high school when this album started happening. And all the good-looking girls seem to have Smashing Pumpkin shirts. So there's that. It's a thing, and we've all done it. Uh, so that was... <laughs> and, and so, Not me, bro. So today... Yeah, sure. Yeah. Bros yeah, so, uh, hoes. <laughs> so today didn't grab me as a song on the radio. Disarm was interesting. I believe that was the second single. Cherub Rock might have been. I'm, I'm not sure the order. Uh, but I'm pretty sure it, it was... Started uh, just, I, well, I can find out while you're talking here. Keep going. Cherub Rock release first. Oh wow! Okay, so I, I didn't. I I heard uh, the way I heard it uh, as far as me just personal journey. I heard today first, and then Disarm, and then Cherub Rock. I believe that's how it happened. So it was kind of building up for me. Disarm. I was like, oh, that that's actually kind of interesting. Uh, Cherub Rock, just the riffage and everything. That's when I finally started to give in. I didn't buy the record yet. But I remember going, I remember the song showed up in a Guitar World magazine, so I learned how to play it. And the first thing that jumped out at me is that, uh, according to all the transcriptions I've seen, Billy plays on the, the one and five. He doesn't put the third in there in the power chord. Hmm. And that's kind of one of the things that gives him his sound. Yeah, uh, no, he definitely does it, that there kind is of a, uh, augmented power chord. On, it's yeah. throughout all, it's almost a signature tone. Yeah, and it definitely makes a difference. You can you play those same chords with and without that third. There is a big difference. So uh, oh, right yeah. away, doing things that some people aren't doing. I'm, I'm sure other bands are doing it, but that stuck out to me because I was like way into the power chords and I was already playing guitar at this point. But I was like, huh, okay. And really, and I didn't really understand the message of Cherbrock as a song lyrically or anything. Uh, you know, if we've all read about it now, we know that it is kind of Billy making fun of hipster culture and, you know, <laughs> journalists and whatever, saying what's cool and what isn't, because there's a, there's a direct dig in there uh, lyrically. But I remember I, reading his interviews, honestly, is kind of what also sucked me in to become a fan, because I really resisted all of this stuff because I was one of those guys that I, I didn't want to burn my uh, Poison records and Motley Crue records. So this new guard was upsetting me because I was like, we can't have it both ways, really. But I realized once I started reading Billy's interviews, he's not. I said he's not here to destroy rock and roll. He's actually here to bring it up. And uh, so he gave it up for like 
70s rock and roll. And even though a lot of those other bands were doing that, you know, I just I knew that he was very genuine about it. And that's kind of what did it for me. And they, like I said, they didn't sound like all these other bands. They had a different sound. And he was one of the grungers that was a, a bit of a kiss nerd, right? He was open about it. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. He loved and he loved Cheap Trick and ELO and Boston. And he talked. He was the only guy talking about Boston in these interviews. Like, you want to know how to produce an album? Listen to that thing. So, yeah. Well, I got into Gish working at the college radio station um, largely by accident. I was just looking for something to play that, that a lot of the records – I didn't mind alternative music, but I still preferred something that was a little more rocking. You know what I mean? Um, uh, so, uh, and then I also I, I was really drawn. I think one of the things that helped me with grunge when it eventually hit, you know, was that we were starting to share lyrics that seemed to actually mean something, even when a lot of times they didn't. But as far as Cherub Rock, I remember seeing it on Saturday Night Live, and it, I thought they killed it. You know, there's there's about a one percent chance that if it's if I'm putting the CD in or if I hear it on the radio that I'm not skipping it or changing the channel. Uh, I yeah. am just there's a little bit of history with it for me. I think the song is brilliant. It's it, it's a killer fucking opener. It's a great way yeah. to say it, you know if you want to get somebody into the Smashing Pumpkins, this is this song and uh, Bullet with Butterfly Wings would probably be the two first things I'd want them to listen to. Uh, and then sure. say, sorry, you're probably not going to like the rest. But no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> I would like to... Also, s- don't don't show them the video to this song because the video is awful. Yeah, it's not that great of a music video, but not, not even for the time. But um, I would yeah, like to exactly. say pretty early on here that... Uh, we Billy doesn't really get talked about as a guitar player, as a musician that much, but he is a fucking phenomenal guitar player. And the solo on this is just a just an amazing, you know, in, in an era of not having that flying over the top solo, Billy found a way to incorporate, you know, killer fucking guitar solos into grunge music. And and a lot of the, you know, in a world of fake it till you make it kind of guitar players, especially in grunge. Um, but but the whole rock genre, hair metal and stuff, had kind of those players. Billy seemed to understand music and. The guitar to him was just more of a a, a a tool that he needed to master to to kind of play. Don't shoot me, Craig Smith. I'm gonna say, although I think he likes Billy, uh, but almost like Prince. Yeah. Now, not on that level musically, but I'm saying, you know how Prince could like basically see more than just what he was playing. Like he had a vision, mm-hmm. and his ears had to hear everything before he thought he was done. I kind of got the sense, you know, as I and I wouldn't say this at the time. I'm just saying this in in hindsight, you know, being someone who's following followed you know music a lot and, and looks back and, and even researched this record i think i think billy uh doesn't really get thought of as as a great guitar player but he's he's fucking amazing and just a great musician overall because his songwriting structure and sense is is very unique and natural at the same time he's a true artist and a renaissance man and craig smith if i could speak for him does not have a problem with that because i know he's a big fan too sure uh well do you have a grunge rating system for us today well for this song uh, Ooh, and we're gonna yeah, get multiple way, ones. Awesome! Oh, you every song, every song. You get different you, ones each you time. You never disappoint, I'm, Joey. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, and also I will just put it out there. I don't think any opening song on any of the albums on this list has a better closer either. It's so fucking bombastic. Hey, uh, hey. it's just don't step mm, on the ending. You you can actually almost hear an explosion on stage at the end of this song. That's how. Oh, ending of this like, song. Not you were not saying yeah. the end of the album. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Now, now everybody at home is going. What's he talking about? 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Yeah, I mean, you talked about how great the opener is, and it's great. The crescendo is amazing on this. Oh, um, if yeah. I may... <sighs> yeah, but that explosion at the end, you can actually hear something like that in there. And it's just, it's amazing. I don't think any other song on, like I said, on any other album opener on this whole list is going to do that for you. Uh, so, yeah, five Chicago deep dish pizzas. Ooh, I also gave it a five. But I this is one of the first times I'm actually going to quantify this. As of, like, the chance of me, like I already talked about, I'll probably never want to hear it again. The, we used to play, we have played this in every band I've ever been in. And our guitar player, Treble, is a very big Smashing Pumpkins fan. And lazily, I think at times, he would shoehorn this into set list. And it got to the point why where i was just like god we're gonna f- play this fucking song one more time and then we do an acoustic set oh we're gonna do this fucking tune and and i just it was a song that i played you know on cd so much learned early on how to play played it in every band i've ever been in and i am just burnt out on it so on a chance of me listening to it again it gets a one but it is absolutely a five and deserves a five it's okay to shoehorn in the set list as long as there's some money <laughs> okay. Oh, well, moving on. Uh, th- uh, probably thankfully for the listeners. Um, the, the second track here, Quiet. He actually had a problem with the sequence on some of the album. And we talk about, or you guys talk about on, on Cobras and Fire and on this show, that sequencing does matter. And I believe that to be true as well. Okay. He actually said he would not have put Quiet as the second track if he had a chance to redo it. Uh, but I think that's a mistake. I like the fact that it establishes them. Uh, not that Cherub Rock didn't, but Quiet is a heavier song. And if you're going to go into a song like Today afterwards, uh, I think Quiet is a great track, too. And I love it. Great simplistic rock riff. Once again, a Jimmy Chamberlain beast level performance right here. And this song, and I'll bring it up probably a few times. If you go watch the Vuforia home video that they put out around this time, really fun to watch this performance. And uh also just fun there should be just a jimmy chamberlain cam on these things because it's yeah. just fun to watch him play and all drummers probably hate him because he doesn't look like he's putting in any effort like ever he might have been and the only he's... grunge drummer too that had a monster like you know eric carr kind of kit too oh yeah yeah and he got made he got made fun of for his long hair and his big drum kit and everything but that guy really is man i i've called him many times the greatest drummer of the modern rock era, like, you know, in the last couple of decades, easily, uh, three decades. Um, he's just great. Um, That's going to so, get a yeah, boom. boom. I mean, he, he's, he's greatness. And uh, it broke my heart when he uh, was kicked out of the band. Uh, I'm just glad he's back. It's always better when he's there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Quiet is amazing. That's one of my, uh, when I used to go into Guitar Center or just when I plug in my guitar at home, that is one of my go-to riffs. That riff, the, 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 easy that and little simple intro, like ding, ding, ding. Oh no, wait, quiet. I'm sorry, we're I've, yeah. I skipped the, the track. I mean, it's just a, it's just a E F sharp G A. Go up the fretboard, but it's great, nerd. Okay, what do you rate it? 
Uh, it's a big, beefy song, so this one gets five Polish sausages. <laughs> this uh, slid down the list a little bit for me. I didn't have a lot of notes on it, and basically you covered anything I would have said, largely about Jimmy's plan. Um, four and a half, uh, what was it, beefy beefy sausages? Polish sausages. Oh, Polish, right uh, four, four, sorry, four and a half Polish sausages. You said yeah. beefy tone. You know, is, uh, I, I don't know if this is true, but is the, are the Pumpkins the only band on this list from Chicago? That you know of? Um, well, I can pull it up here. Hold on. I be- that sounds right. I mean, there, the, there's not obviously a that's lot. where I'm getting all these. That's where I'm getting all these from. Obviously, is yeah. Chicago references because most of it is in that Seattle area. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's in, in Stone Temple. That's really it. Yeah, they're uh, California. So these three. So yeah, this is the only Chicago band. There you go. Yeah. So I figured I'd bring the Chicago flavor. Ah, to the, show, the windy or you know? uh, the the Big Apple, Chicago. <laughs> that one's for Stephen. Yeah, Michael. the Empire State Building. Yeah. Oh man. Um. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, up next we got uh, the third track today. Like I said, this is this is a really good song. Yeah, the verse is sung. I don't know. The verse is sung perfectly, and yet, as good as I think it is, I I really I do, I I do rank this pretty pretty high. But I just personally don't like it that much. I but taking my bias and taste and setting it aside, uh, I rated this on on what I thought it actually deserved for someone that might actually enjoy the song. And it's such a well written track, and it really isn't easy. To write uh, something so simplistic and make it good, you know what I mean. That uh, today is the greatest. I mean, there's just a hook and a catch to that. That's very natural, and it's it's just sung yeah. beautifully. It's just not my cup of tea. It's it's you know I, I know they kind of kick it up in the in the I don't know they almost kind of flop the verse and chorus on this, but it just overall was kind of I don't know a, a little. I don't even know why. I, there's not one thing that doesn't that I can say that's why I don't like it. I just don't really care for it that much. At the same time, I can really appreciate how good it is, if that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, this is one of the major big personal songs. Uh, you know, the other the first two songs are, are pretty, you know, general. Oh, great. I just took a dump on Joey. <laughs> no, not for me, for Billy. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I mean, you is... have some personal connections to these songs, I know. But uh, okay, yeah, carry I on. Do. Fair enough. Yeah. No, no, no. I do. And uh, self-admittedly, according to Billy, this is the happiest song about suicide ever. And I will. Definitely, it has that vibe, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's like, it is a happy song and it's not meant to be uh, ironic or tongue in cheek or anything. Cause you know, that, that was, 
the you know the the old cliche today is the first day of the rest of your life and that's that's where he was at when he wrote the song it almost reminds uh, yeah, me of uh, and, something that Kanye said and I'm not joking here i being manic <laughs> sucks it's awesome <laughs> you know, this, sure was this, there's a man you don't know sway yeah. you haven't done what i've done <laughs> I didn't have much else to say about today. It was a terrible segue, by the way. But uh, <laughs> I mentioned how bad the uh, the video was for Chair Rock, but this is completely the opposite. Yeah, it's a There's good a reason why. It, not only is it a good song, but obviously the video being good, that that's important, especially at this time. It needed to be a good video. It's a, it's a fun video, James cross-dressing. And the thing I actually love about it, and this is going to be a little sappy and whatever, but <laughs> I, like this, the, I like the part of the video where they start – painting the van as a band because it reminds me of the Muppet movie. So that's kind of what sold me on it, honestly. So, yeah, I just like it. I think it's real nice. I'm going to call you uh, today, I think. (laughs) Please, please do. It's it's, it's Geek USA, sir. Uh, But uh, I think think it's a great song. I actually, it's one of those that, you know, I don't want to ever hear it on the radio. And I'm sure you're the same way, like you mentioned. Uh, of course, you know this is this is now a cliche thing, but it works better in the context of the album. But if I do see it live, I love it. And uh-huh. uh, I got I saw I saw him on the most recent tour, and it was, dude. I've seen I've seen hundreds of shows, and I will say this for sure: uh, this was in the top ten shows I ever saw. They played like three and a half hours. It was amazing, and uh, everybody was just on point. And there's a few times I got a little emotional watching. This might have been one of those songs. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a near perfect song. But and I will be a little more critical as we go here and there. But I'm going to stick with five. So for this one, I give it five Ferris Bueller references. I also gave it uh, five Ferris Bueller references. So uh, and nice. again, don't even like the song. But I just, I, <laughs> something tells me if I was there live, though, I would probably really enjoy it. Uh, it, you know, yeah. it's just a song that you will without trying, I would already know. I mean, this is a song that just, that just, it seemed to be everywhere for a while there, but, uh, for whatever, let's get to the next one. Uh, Hummer. This is like the closest they come to Gish. So if you're a Gish fan, this is kind of the hey, don't give up on us. We're still you <laughs> don't know, give up cool. on me, baby. <laughs> is that David Soul? <laughs> oh, it might be, isn't it? Nice. <laughs> the Starsky and Hutch guy. <laughs> yeah, not the cool one. Um, <laughs> He's not Starsky. Yeah. He's Hutch. Yeah, he should have. He should have put a Hall and Oates kind of band together with the other Duke boy that oh, had a singing yeah. career. Also, Bo or Luke? 
I don't remember which one it was, but he like John Schneider, whoever he was. Okay, that was uh, uh, he that had was a, Luke. He had a sword. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, so so Luke and uh, and Hutch, Luke and Hutch. You know, because clearly Starsky couldn't sing, otherwise he would have had a singing career over Hutch. <laughs> that's what. Um. By the way, that's what today could have used was a <laughs> was a little uh, rampway chase like uh, with the ice cream truck like, nice. on pause, like in the Duke's Hazard with a little Starsky and Hutch in the background too. But I guess the Beastie Boys cornered the market on that. Oh man, you know, I, and for for prom, I painted my uh, uh, 1977 Cordoba uh, with a black Starsky and Hutch stripe and a lime green body. Uh, we put Keystone Classic rims on it, and, that, and then I had to hide my car for a week so no one could see it until the day of prom. Uh, and uh, it it didn't go over well with my date, uh, but I, I was. I was gonna say somebody's getting laid. Yeah, did, did the sure fuck tape did not work that night. Uh, oh. but, uh, yeah, it, uh, I'm it, sorry. Yeah. You know, I, I gave her all I had, you know, um, apparently, uh, she didn't care for Starsky and Hutch. I don't know what the hell her fucking problem is. <laughs> Slut. Yeah. I, well, I, didn't even, I didn't even go to my prom. So you're still winning there. Nice. So. Yes. <laughs> uh, but what were we talking about? Hummer? Okay. Yeah. Uh, guess call back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you you mentioned Hummer and I think of prom and I think of what could have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No nice. Hummers in the in the Starsky and Hutch green machine, no. Uh, it's hard for me to hate on this song. This is where I really start paying attention to the little things because I don't have as big of a connection to this song, but I will say Billy's guitar tone, he definitely deserves to be, and maybe not a guitar hero, but he definitely deserves to be respected as a guitar player. That tone, uh, Butch said he brought in like bags and bags of pedals, huh. and that's uh, and this is what they did for like weeks, just trying to find the sound. And uh, this is definitely one of those. I'm sure once he played it, they were like, that's it. And uh, it's just based off that really cool intro to me. But, yeah, it goes off in Gish territory. It gets a little jammy, so I don't like it as much. But I'm a total fanboy, uh, so I give it four blowjobs. Hmm. That's a that's a Chicago thing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, well, okay, I, I, Chicago I know where you're going with it. Four blowjobs on the uh, boat taxis that they have out uh, there on yeah, the river. Rushed, four Rush Street blowjobs. Yep, there you go. All right. Or maybe on the Navy Pier. Uh, <laughs> a little more family-friendly blowjob. Um, <laughs> this is more my speed. I, I love that Guitar Lady and intro riff. It's so fucking smooth. And the, uh, um, yeah, I want something new. I don't know if that even counts as a chorus. but And then, yeah, you get to that, that kind of like breakdown it ask a question. I don't know. I just there's so many layers to this. This song to me is is just a fucking knock it out of the park killer. Uh, I love it. I even that last about my. Oh man, I just I even just going back and listening to this record. I don't know if it was part of the show we already talked about. I have not probably listened to this in ten years. This one reminds me of being back at that in the, the the early 90s and hanging out and with my friends in Owatonna and, and 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 you know you know some of the local bars that we would go to and things of that nature playing this in the jukebox playing this in garages and cars i mean this record was everywhere and this song is one of the ones that i always look forward to you know what i mean and, you know we were we didn't do a lot of skipping around back then so uh no we no ipod shuffle for us so you if this re- cd went yeah. in and you pretty much heard it till the end um but yeah, I give it five blowjobs. Okay, all right. Up next, we have Rocket. 
I can keep my my thoughts brief here. Uh, it's a cool opening riff. I love that. I I shall be free. Oh yeah. The the, uh, the part that I don't really care for is I think that that climbing outro is a bit annoying. But other than that, uh, I don't know. I I'll, I'll save my rating until I know what the what it is. I it's going to be called. But anyway. Uh, to my esteemed co-host. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. It's it's not the great outro that Jarb Rock is, yeah. but it's still a really good song. Uh, like Jarb Rock, another terrible video. Uh, even though this band does have some really great videos, it's a terrible video. And like I said, just because it was important to me at the time, so I remember those things. Uh, this song, I, I used to like it pretty well, but this is one of those, once I saw them on this last tour, this is when I had my moment with the song. Super well connected with me. It was the first full band song they played that night, if I'm not mistaken. They opened up with Disarm, which is Billy on the acoustic, and it was great. But then when Rocky kicks in and they're playing, it's just like, oh, wow. And at the We Shall Be Free, or I Shall Be Free at the very end, uh, and then when they just hit that stride, uh, breaking it down, man, that's I got a chill for sure. I didn't cry, but I definitely got a chill. And uh, so the, this this would have been like maybe a three at the time for me, but because of the moment I had with it when I saw it live, you know, a few years ago, I'm gonna bump it up to four touring Smashing Pumpkins members. Mm, nice. I also gave it four touring Smashing Pumpkins members. Um, yeah, that's a little shout at the studio bit that we talked about earlier. So. And the, the weird thing is that that's my lowest rating so far, and I feel like I've shit on this record a little bit uh, because I, I, I don't want to hear Cherub Rock ever again, and I don't think today is written for me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at this. I'm like, fucking hey, man. I, this, this, I got like a 4.75 average out of five on this thing so far. It is that good, people. Trust so, us. So for the people already typing in the hateful comments, uh, just I wanted to uh, – remind you that I'm actually saying some very nice stuff speaking of which now we get to the huge hit Disarm Disarmed, this is the one that made me start paying attention to the band, like I mentioned before. And uh, just this is once again, we'll show you how cool I was in high school. Uh, I was in drumline and uh, band nerd. And yeah, but uh, all, all the instruments <laughs> on here. Uh, the, the thing that I love about this song, and it's this is like a weird personal thing, but every instrument on this song, with the exception of the strings, I've actually I could actually play all these instruments throughout high school. So even the big bell chimes, uh, the timpani drum, uh, the guitar. Yeah, we used to like kind of work this up a little bit in band, like when we were just kind of screwing around because we could. And uh, so that was like a lot of fun. So 
Yeah, and then I, I could feel the, the personal reflection here, and it's definitely a great ink song, great ballad. Uh, you know, I will say the video video is pretty cool. Uh, even the – what do you think? By the way, this is be a good time to mention uh, if you've seen some of the television appearances for this song and even some of the one-off performances, certain times when they would play it on tour, they would play it as a heavy metal song. So, do you like uh, before Never I get to the it. ranking? Do you Never heard it. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I yeah, gotta you, you got to go check those out. Yeah, when they played the the VMAs was probably their most famous performance of it where they played it metal. And uh, if you, the Vuforia home video, I can't say enough nice things about it cuz kind of like, okay, so have you ever seen Skid Row's Roadkill home video? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, but like, like the two. I wasn't a spoiled only are... child like you, Joey. I was out there in the world trying to make it on my own, busting my ass, barely making it minimum wage. And like we do up here in Minnesota, when things get tight, we just put on our boots a little tighter and get the job done. You get the propane going, and the, yeah, <laughs> that's not in Texas. And, the, and your North Stars games, at least for a while. And I, um, I think they were gone by this point. <laughs> but uh yeah and uh, it's, i'm Asshole. not an only child by the way but uh yeah the, <laughs> in my head you the, are the, look and, yeah. you know and a lot of people who see us in pictures think we're related so well, who knows <laughs> yeah i love it you are my brother for sure uh but yeah i i appreciate a good old school rock and roll home video release and the ones that i like the most are the ones that aren't like a full show top to bottom at the same place i like the ones that have bits between them and Vuforia does that, and they also are at different locations every time, different show, completely different look, different venue. So it's a really fun home video to watch. It never gets boring, actually. And uh, when they show it on Vuforia for Disarm, they show the metal version, and they're playing, I think, on like a European variety show or something like that, because it's all weird and psychedelic looking. And they're just playing this crazy-ass you know, hard rock metal version of it. Uh, the fun part is, and this is be kind of redundant, but James looks overtly bored playing the song, so that's kind of fun too. It's kind of like when Nirvana played top of like the like more than normal, more than normal. I'm not even kidding about that. He's probably, I think, he's actively rolling his eyes too. Uh, but man, yeah. So I love both versions of this song, and uh, since uh, Billy Corgan is. Uh, one of my favorite current pro wrestling promoters and owners. I'm going to give this song five cross face chicken wings. <laughs> yeah, going back to your your kind of concert or band video kind of things. Have you did you ever hear the story of the, the song remains the same? This comes out of the book. Uh, no, is, no one here gets out alive. It's same author. That's the Doors one. What Hammer of the Gods is the Led Zeppelin book yeah. that. Uh, yeah. um, it's in there, but uh, uh, supposedly, like they, there was a small fix they needed to do in one track, and because John Paul Jones refused to wear the same shirt two nights in a row, they had to reshoot the whole show. <laughs> like, I actually would go with the argument: like, would anybody even notice? I mean, some people would but nowadays with with the, the social media. It might even be talked about too much, but for the most part, yeah. just just fucking show them in a different shirt. Fuck him. Yeah. Fuck I was, you, John I was Paul at, Jones. That reminds me. I was. Uh, I I might have mentioned this on my show before, but I was at the uh, Metallica Cunning Stunts taping. Yeah. Because it was in Fort Worth, Texas, and they did it over two nights over a weekend. 
And uh, weirdly enough, it was the same venue that I graduated high school in a few weeks later. Now, just uh, for the <laughs> listeners, if you ever hear the term DFW, Fort Worth is the FW. Carry on. Yeah, damn right. And uh, Fort Worth is great, too. Uh, so, yeah, I saw him at this Coliseum in, in Fort Worth. And so bef- I went to the second night. Uh, some of my friends went to the first night. I went to the second night. Metallica, before they came out and even turned the lights down, the whole band got out on stage. And, of course, Lars is talking. And he says, hey, guys, just so you know, don't freak out or anything. But we're going to play five different random songs twice in a row. Because we fucked up the video last night on these five songs, so we're just going to play them. So you're going to get five extra songs. And we're all like, yay. (laughs) It got a little weird during the show after they did it the third or fourth time. Uh, But those guys are pros. They obviously probably wore the same clothes. Plus, they got into the exact same holding positions they were in the the time the song went in. They'd go back and hit their mark. Like, that's how crazy they were about their continuity. So those those guys are total pros. Wow. Uh, <laughs> now, I don't know whether you're gonna, whether you're going to cringe about that or not, but it sounds like you're cringing. <laughs> cringe oh, no, no, uh, mad respect for them on that level, I, that kind of stuff. Uh, although I got to believe the crouching or being in the same position shouldn't matter that much with with editing nowadays. But fuck whatever, yeah. whatever it takes to get the job done, right? Um, yeah. uh, at least they'd fucking wear the same clothes, not John Paul Jones, that pussy. Good point. Uh, yeah. Hey, did did you know that like uh, the the uh, highway, uh, the Interstate 35 goes from Minnesota all the way through Texas, right? And the only two times it splits, and the only two times it's called 35E and W is at the Twin Cities and at Dallas Fort Worth. Excuse me. Yeah, I believe that. 35 is a joke out here. That's I well, I've actually driven that that path. Now one, uh, no, it's it's very similar in that sense. But there is a what is it like ten miles between Fort Worth and Dallas, at least something like that. It's more like twenty to thirty, depending okay. on traffic. Yeah, but it's significant. Um, the t- yeah. the up here, Minneapolis and St. Paul are literally border cities, so it, it, okay. it's slightly different in that sense. But uh, no, anyway, uh, Luce always likes it when I throw in geography lessons. Um, ah. but back to disarm because I have not given my rating yet. Now, one thing I wanted to say, you know that, that there's that cello sound underneath the like. I am. I'm going to ask Jeff to tell you this. Hopefully he knows. I am pretty convinced on the stories I've heard and, and now listening to it with kind of a finite ear that that is like just layer upon layer of single note acoustic guitar notes and not actually a cello or, or some kind of orchestra. And I'm not talking about the violin string parts. Uh, that Just that din, 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 that's underneath like the verse, yep. man. There might be some guitars on there because they layered the shit out of this album with guitars. Yeah. But I can tell you for a fact that there is a, a cello in the studio. Don't on this fucking one. shit on me, a- Joey. Don't fucking shit on me. <laughs> he's he's got a credit, and I just I just actually watched the DVD on the deluxe edition of this for the first time, and it's a full live show from the Metro from the album release party, and they actually bring the guy out. To play cello, and it's the guy that played on the record. Yes, uh, that's what he wants Air- you to think. He doesn't want you to know it's actually <laughs> just Billy like doing it like in four minute clips, one hundred times on one note. He's that good. But uh, I already forgot the rating. What did you What did you come up with the rating for this? I gave it five cross face chicken wings. Five cross <laughs> chicken wings. Um, this was a standout track on the first pass through. No shock, it became a huge hit. I also give it five first pass chicken wings. So, um, <laughs> side one of the cassette, 
ends with Soma. Now, this is, uh, I think, the first time James Eha gets a co-write. Uh, what, yeah. do you, what do you got for me here, Joey? Wrap my in you and took my shelter in their I love Soma. It's one of the epics of the album. There's there's two big epics on here, and this is one of them. This is the ballad epic. And uh, I, I love it even more live, whether I'm just watching it on a TV or on the DVD or seeing it live. I've seen it a couple of times. But uh, it's, you know, lyrically and just feeling, it goes from, you know, it goes from mellow to mad. It's a perfect angst ballad for someone uh, of our age range, you know, whether it's 14 or 22. Uh, I think it speaks to most people of this time. Uh, just the way it just brings it up. And, you know, I, I'm easy. I love it when it gets heavy. I don't have much more insight. I just like it. It's beautiful and dark. Uh, I give it a five SNL De Bears sketches. <laughs> Um, this one only gets four SNL bear sketches from me. I, uh, the music at, to the beginning of this is j- recorded masterfully. I mean, that, that, that smooth softness to it. I, I like the song, but it's not my favorite, but, uh, I do kind of like the, there's just always this, these one lines throughout this album that like, um, the, the combination of the melody and the lyric that, and the way Billy sings it just punched through and that. I just love that. Ah! myself i don't know i just uh i think of that when i think of this tune but yeah it's a little bit lengthy for me just because i i don't like it as much as uh the other kind of a longer song it's actually a little shorter than hummer i think but it's in that same kind of length but yeah this one to me just uh it tires at times but even then like i said i still give it a four all right well before we get to side two i have uh you know some other things to get into with you here um, you know, we didn't talk about the album cover. What are your thoughts there? It didn't do anything for me at the time, and it still doesn't do a whole lot. Although, you know, much like any album you love, you, you know, com- it completely like just gets you in that mood because it's right there. You know, I, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of the album cover. I, I keep reading different conflicting stories that they're actually Siamese twins. Do you know? Did you uh, did you find out if that's a real thing or not? They are not Siamese twins, and they're not even twins. They are just uh, child models at the time, and they oh, okay. were actually brought back together to do some kind of promo video to announce the last tour. Oh, nice! In yeah, I think I must, have, like I, must, that, so. I must have seen that. I know Billy's only met one of the girls at this point. Uh, that's the only thing I do know. So if they had been Siamese twins, they would have been separated. And there was that uh, rumor going around that one of the more recent female bass players in the band. Uh, <laughs> Nicole, I think is her name. She was in the uh, Oceania lineup. Uh, there was a rumor or, that she started, that she was one of the girls. 
uh, on the cover, but she was just making it up. Man, that is just uh, that is so old school, isn't it? It's just like, uh, fuck. Just, I, I, by the way, you don't put children on your cover because it's really awkward when you meet them twenty years later after you're fucking famous, right? It, like, like that, that naked baby on the Nevermind cover. It's just like I was gonna say, like his his at least uh, hopefully he's got like. You know the, the lower expectations of the size of his ween at this point. You know, to, <laughs> this is like, like when, I was cold. <laughs> yeah, I was three months old. Uh, I just got out of the but pool. It, I was yeah. in it. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm not a fan. I've never. I will say this one thing about the Smashing Pumpkins. Image-wise, everything the, the 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 to me was all for the ears. I just I I, I really never cared to look at the band. <laughs> um, I, I never liked their their artwork, their logos. I think Melancholy is their best album cover, and I don't even like that damn record. Uh, I really don't care for this. It's it, look, it's it's not a bad album cover by any means, but it just yeah. it's it's to me it's like something that really never would have drawn me to the record. Uh, if I didn't know who they were, I would have never cared. And I, I like the cover for Gish better than this one, to be honest with you. But sure. you know, it is what it is, uh, you know. And like I said, you 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 kind of getting used to seeing it and kind of stuff. But uh, I don't know. And it's like there's some yeah, kind of lawn chair. At in least the Gish is, yeah. At least Gish is kind of a ripoff of the Are You Experienced album cover. Yeah. But if you're gonna give if you're gonna give me a kid with uh, angel wings, give me the smoking baby from 1984. Exactly. Exactly, and then paint him red, put a purple background, and call it "Born Again." <laughs> yeah, uh, anyway. that's Kelly Osborne on the cover, you know. Okay, so uh, let's get a little bit into where you, you uh, outside of middle school in DFW or wherever you were. You living in Dallas and in, in in middle school? Yeah, I was pretty much living where in the same cities that I am now, and I say cities because it's like kind of a conglomerate of three different cities it's called the mid cities it's right between dallas and fort worth mm, okay so te- technically i was living in Euless, texas which is where i currently reside okay so musically where where were you at when we'll use nirvana never mind as the breaking point when like basically grunge blew uh blew up and and everybody in the world knew this new kind of form of music so what, what, yeah. what where were you prior to that just prior uh well m- yeah, much like 99% of people that come on this show, and just specifically whatever, never mind. Uh, big Kiss Freak, for sure. Uh, but I was uh, also into Megadeth Huge at the time. Rest in Peace was like my favorite album at this time. Uh, Skid Row was a big one for me also. I had seen my first handful of shows, uh, so Skid Row was a band that I had seen uh, around this time. Uh, so those were two big ones for me. Motley Crue before this. Uh, yeah. So, and I was one of those sad guys that likes poison, uh, as you as you brought up many times. You you shit on you shit on two of my early fandoms, Quiet Riot and Poison. But yeah, I'm I'm that sad guy. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, anything that was Nerd. on Headbangers Ball, ninety five. Yeah, ninety five percent of the stuff on Headbangers Ball. While I didn't buy into like Baton Rouge or Roxy Blue or anything, uh, yeah, it's fine. But. I didn't really buy into the CD level stuff. I didn't even buy into Warren all that much, honestly. So I wasn't sad for Warren and Slaughter and stuff like that. I always but, thought you know, Warren looked like up- a poison with Down syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember like the, we all saw the first 30 seconds of the Down Boys video. Yeah. And not only did it look. 
not only did it look cheap, but them doing that stupid dance move at the very beginning, I was like, no, I don't, I don't like you guys. It's just, you know, there's just, and then the they music. weren't as cool as Rat or Motley Crue or Absolutely. even Poison, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I I shit on poison all the time. Hands down, way cooler than Warren. Hell yeah, hell yeah. So I would have loved to have seen that poison Al- Alice in Chains tour because uh, I remember that happening, and I should have definitely gone to that. Well, let's get to like the so Nirvana basically changes the 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 landscape of music. MTV no longer uh, will show music videos that have bands that like strippers. Um, what? How? How did you feel about Nirv- that record when it came out? And more importantly, the uh, uh, the movement of grunge at all. Did, did you kind of reject it at first? Because it sounds like from an earlier comment you did. Yeah, I, I definitely resisted is the way I like to put it. I didn't reject it so much because at least it wasn't like you know it was still guys with long hair playing guitars. So. Like it's it's thing I used to hate when stuff would kind of interrupt that kind of flow, like on MTV and stuff like that. Although I did like a good amount of rap stuff here and there, uh, but yeah, 80s rap especially. But you know, I was like, at least it wasn't like this because man, it, I actually was still sort of listening to the radio when the 90s rolled around, okay. especially like 1990 top 40 radio was abysmal. If you go back and look up like the top 50 to 100 songs of 1990, it's really freaking bad. So not only did alternative music need to kill off, you know, pop metal, it needed to kill off pretty much everything. And not that it really killed all the pop uh, away because it was 90s was, you know, has just as many one hit wonders as the 80s did. Uh, So, you know, but man, it was Top 40 and mainstream music in general was the shits, the drizzling shits at this time. So something definitely had to come along. And, uh, you know, I, I'm of the uh, opinion that oversaturation definitely killed pop metal. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to make a real geeky reference, uh, it's like that scene in Lord of the Rings where Sean Bean dies. Spoiler. The last arrow that goes through him that finally kills him, that finally makes him hit the ground. That was Nirvana and Seattle and grunge and all that stuff. Nice. So it was already getting – it was already dead. Uh, they drove the stake through the heart basically. And, you know, it's that industry story. Uh, you know, Michael Jackson's album got returned so much at Christmas time that Nevermind became a number one album strictly based on returns because that's what the kids turned in the album for instead. Oh, that can't be true. I mean, I would hope children would not be listening to Michael Jackson in, in hindsight, but uh, yeah, all right. It's much well, more uh, safe for them to be listening to an album about a guy living under a bridge than it is to listen to Michael Jackson. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, the guy under the bridge wasn't molesting the kids. So uh, anyway, good point. Uh, <laughs> this is whatever. Never mind. So one last question for you, Joey. Uh, before we get to side two, did grunge kill hair metal? Here's your chance. I think you kind of uh, touched on it there, but I want to make it official. Um, like I said, it gave the final death blow, but it was already uh, it was already uh, pretty much dying in a corpse at that point. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm I'm quite proud of the reference I came up with during the the Screaming Trees one, where they basically showed up and did the movie mistake of picking up the murder weapon of the body that was dead on the floor. You know what I mean? Their prints were <laughs> yeah, on the gun, brilliant. but they didn't pull the trigger. Yeah. Uh, oh, completely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to side two. Uh, Geek USA.
great opener for the second side. You know, if, uh, I consider them to be openers. Uh, that in the tape and vinyl era, it's just as important to keep that flow going. Uh, I love it. It's it's pure rock. It's one of those songs that I'm like, this definitely is a band for me. Like, even when I was kind of just buying this album, CD, whatever, because the girls liked them. Like, I was like, hell, hell yeah. I like this a lot, actually. Yeah. These guys are jamming. Uh, it's as simple as that. Like, that sounds like I'm rating a song from, you know, Double Live Gonzo or something. But it's, it's fucking rock and roll, man. Like, if... It, People, I understand people may not listen to Smashing Pumpkins because of Billy's voice, and they do the same thing with Rush for Getty's voice. I, I understand it to a degree, but this is one of those songs that if I had the control over the radio and I had my own serious station, I'd play this song, man, because people are going to be like, oh, yeah, this thing's badass. So, yeah, I, and for that reason, and because it gives me a shot of adrenaline, I give it five Blues Brothers car chases. Ooh, a five. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty bold. Uh, uh, it is a great little riff to open the song, uh, and another Jimmy Chamberlain showcase, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, but yeah. honestly, other than that, not much for me. This is the lowest rated song so far on the record. This gets a three oh. and a half. Blues Brother car chases. Bummer. Ouch. That's okay though. It's all right. I still love you, man. <laughs> hey, three and a half is still. You know, come on. No, oh, yeah, it's above. It's above average. Yeah. So. Uh, the next track, though, boy, this is a home run for me. Mayonnaise. to love playing this in the CD player at this bar in Oatana called uh, Spanky's. Uh, I would go down there, you know, um, uh, after work. I, w- I, w- I was working second shift at this time, so I-, I would have time for maybe a couple beers after work by the time I got home, and I would uh, play a game of Golden Tea and load up the jukebox, but boy, I always made sure fucking Manny's was one of those tracks. And for whatever reason, it always brings me back to that time of... Uh, and then my, my buddy from high school was the bartender, so he always would uh, allow me to buy like three beers at last call, and then as people were kicked out, he would keep letting... Like, he just wouldn't give me all three at once. Uh, he would just let <laughs> nice. me, like, get to the next one, the next one. And I could, you know, hang out with him while he cleaned up and closed a little bit. So it, it definitely brings me back to that time. That that was kind of a, a very short period of life where him and I got to do that kind of thing. Uh, but, man, I uh, that that distorted, I don't know, supposedly it's just a really shitty guitar that Jimmy, or, or that uh, James Eha owned, where it would go, 
you know, it was just feedback so much. And the fact that Billy had the idea to incorporate that musically, to me, that's like um, that's like pre-Jack White, you know, uh, kind of just trying to and using it the right way, and not 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 playing a shitty guitar because it's shitty, like Kurt Cobain did. Yeah. He playing exactly. a shitty guitar because he wanted just this one little spot. And the and when you listen to that, it every, every time you hear that. It's like yeah. a couple layers of it, and the fact that it's so consistent, but yet it changes a little bit. I, I thought about it today, listening to this. I've never looked up to see a live performance of this to see how they pull that off live, because th- that mm. would be really cool. But I don't know if you, I assume you you probably have, but I give yeah. this fucker. I, I've always said my guests can do whatever they want with their rating system, and otherwise it's a one through five. But if you want to go higher, I don't care. This is a fucking 11 on whatever fucking rating chart you give me. This is hands down my favorite track on this record. And listening back, that has not changed. And this is a song that I beat to death myself. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to my esteemed co-host. That's all I got to say about mayonnaise. Oh, by the way, stupid fucking song title. Billy apparently doesn't like being asked about it. Well, don't name your song fucking mayonnaise if you don't want to fucking be asked about it. For the you you write a song this fucking good and then you call it yeah. mayonnaise. My God, dude, you have no you you of all people don't get to bitch. So anyway, Joey, I. One thousand percent agree with you on everything you said leading up uh, right there. The best song with the stupidest song title. I, it's number one with a bullet. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Mayonnaise <laughs> is the worst food ever. And I hate that that's the name of the song. That's the only thing I hate about this song. Like you said, that fault in the guitar is just as important as anything else in oh, this song for some reason. Yeah. And I love that. I love that you brought up Jack White, too, because Billy and Jack are the only two guitar players honestly, of the last 30 years where I've listened to their stuff and I go, how'd he do that? And yeah, and once again, giving credit to Eha because that's his other co-write. Like this and Somer's two co-writes completely justifies his position in this band. Uh, I have seen this song live. You can find great performances of it. They do pull it off, and I'm not just saying that as a fanboy. Well, I'm just talking There's specifically a, a, about that... Like they, they they really rip it out yeah. the way it comes off on here. I mean, it's this is production yeah. glory. Yeah, they get pretty close on that that tone that that little fault thing. Yeah, there. they wouldn't they, have they to nail it for me to get a boner seeing this live. But sure, it, but it just, doesn't hurt either. I was just curious, yeah. like, man, I wonder how they really do that. You know, it's just yeah. On the the Vuforia home video that I brought up many times, there's actually an acoustic performance of this many song, times. and uh, they're playing it outdoors like next to a fountain <laughs> it's like a, a bongo and an egg shaker and billy on the acoustic and james on the acoustic and uh it, it's still good it's still a great song it's like you know the cliche if you strip it down it's still a great song and it is in that acoustic version so you can find versions of it like that but the full electric full boner live version um i got some things to throw down to you about this song not just yeah that's what we've talked about here um I referenced that last tour, the the perfect show that I saw by him. It was a near perfect show. It was so great. And I love this song so much. <laughs> um, I actually recorded a version of this, like quasi four track professionally demo. Dude, uh, do you still have it? Not only do I still have it, I dug it out today and uh, I'm going to send it to you. So I can and, put it in the uh, show. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, because oh, you had so the balls cool. to play your version of um, your stripe recover. <laughs> so I feel like it's only fair that I share my, you know, you know, whatever, my youth demo of this song that I thought so much about that I had to learn it as best as I could, even though I didn't play it perfectly. Nice. I didn't play the solo. I improv the solo for the most part. I even improv some of the intro. Uh, I tried to not sing it like Billy, but you can't help that. Yeah. Uh, so, but it, it's there in all of its raw glory. I don't even remember who's playing drums on it. And I apologize for anyone who might hear this. Uh, but yeah, I love the song enough to have recorded a cover of it. It's one of the only things that I have on a, a decent four track recording. And yes, I will send it to you. And just to further uh, bring Ogre up and yell nerd at me. Uh, when I saw it performed live on this last tour, uh, I couldn't help it. And I just thinking about it now, I get emotional. I, I did visibly cry when they played this song at the show. So anybody uh, who's going to laugh at me, fuck you. But uh, I don't think people listening to this good. program um, uh, are going to be too critical. You know what I mean? If you get into this level of podcasting, you are you're you're right there with us for the most part. And as much as I call you a nerd, I think I come off like the dick pretty much the whole time. So yeah, I I get look, man, just hearing you talk about it, the the passion we both have for this song is it's amazing. I'm getting a little spine yeah. chilly. I want to hear your thing. I want to fucking see some of these videos now. Jesus. Yeah, I'm gonna send you. There's a pro shot of that whole show, like the not the show I was at, but basically the same kind of thing. Because yeah. the, the first half of that tour, they did like three hours, three and a half hours sometimes. But like halfway through the tour, they padded it down to like two hours and change. So there was they did stream it one night, pro shot, uh, the full three hour and change show. So you should watch that. And if I, nice. fi- I find it, I'll send it to you. I'm, of course, going to send you my cover <laughs> version, not out of any kind of ego, because you know how it is. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. This is just an expression of love, man. I mean, that's that's the only way I can really put it. Uh, I would have given an 11 for the Spinal Tap rock thing. But uh, since I'm sticking with the Chicago stuff, I'm going over my five star and giving it six Chicago Bulls NBA championships, conference oh. titles, division titles. Six. Nice. I actually like that one a lot. That's prob- Thank you. That, that's probably six Michael Jordan MVPs, too, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. MVP trophies. Well, th- there you so, go. so I got my, my rating then would be the six titles and five pairs of Air Jordans, uh, starting with uh, 91 going through 96. Nice. It, it, he's he's the greatest of all time, you and this song is one of the greatest songs of all time. Up next is Space Boy.
super personal song from Billy. I don't have much insight other than just piggybacking off of what Billy said. It's a super personal song. It's about his brother, I think half-brother actually, but he calls him his brother, which is what you should do uh, if you're in, in a family like that. Mm-hmm. Um, said his brother was, quote, not born right. Uh, so this is just based off of how he is as a person and his energy. You know, He acts a certain way and he goes off in his own world. Therefore, he is Space Boy, and uh, that's the song. It's it's now that I know that it's kind of hard for me to separate it, not in a bad way. I didn't have a ton of love for this song anyway, uh, but you know, I just like knowing those things. So that's pretty much it. Like you said, researching this, I found out that this is a song for his brother, who he says is admittedly an odd duck, and um, you know, but if you're in a family and with Billy and you're the weird one. Well, you're pretty fucking weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> but whatever, kind man. Kind of eccentric, yeah. I, I can deal with weirdos. This is a cool song. I, 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 It sounds like I like it a little bit better for you. What's our rating system here? Well, I actually had it with a, a half, uh, but just yeah. for the joke, I'm gonna pat. I'm gonna round it down <laughs> to. Uh, no, I'm gonna round it down to three female bass players. Okay, I give it four. Four and a half uh, female bass players. So. <laughs> That's frightening. Which half? <laughs> the left or the top. Okay. <laughs> okay. I wasn't sure if you were going to go uh, the mermaid. horizontal or, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the more you know. I have kind of a weird fucking connection to the next tune. Track 11 is Silver Fuck. hate this song because a buddy of mine and by buddy i mean i haven't talked to him in a long time we we were really close friends and he's someone that that i think about a lot with this record because there wasn't a lot of commonality with with him and i when it came to uh it was he was really into like slayer megadeth like thrash and kiss that was our our zone when it came to the grunge stuff he hated most of it but he loved the pumpkins and he loved this record that's awesome. But he had this weird fucking, and if you knew him, this would make more sense. But he, I think he liked the song because, th- first of all, I think part of his fascination with the Pumpkins is, was that they had a female bass player because he was kind of weird about that too. But I think he just mm-hmm. he liked to say "silver fuck" in this almost like kind of I don't know demonstrative kind of like like that's a cool title. Now I've never really fe- had strong feelings about the title one way or the other, but I. Because of him and the way he would talk about the song, I, I want to hate it, but I don't. It's a pretty good song. 
I, my, I do have one criticism of the of the song on its own merit, and that I do think the opening riff, while while it's good, it's almost redundant at this point in the record. Now we're almost like this. It's almost like you're getting beat to death. Like, oh, th- this is another kind of typical kind of pumpkins thing. It's almost too smashing pumpkins for me. But, um, uh, wh- what do you think? Oh, th- by the way, Jimmy's drumming on this is incredible. Oh yeah, it's it's another Jimmy classic. The beginning uh, before kind of I, Tom thing. Oh fucking a man. Yeah, and he gets to let loose live. Of course, I'll talk about that. I'm going to give you Billy's perspective on this before I give you mine. This is the only one I feel compelled to actually read his thoughts, and it's not terribly long. No, let's hear it. Uh, like, so uh, Billy's notes in the deluxe edition. Uh, Silver fuck is an endless jam that we beat into submission using the club crowds as test dummies for what needs to be an ever infinite magnum opus. We were inspired by a date that we played in Minneapolis. So there you go. Uh, by a UK band called the hypnotics T H E E hypnotics who play a 30 minute encore that goes on for so long that the club cuts the power yet the band refuses to stop playing a uh, fist fight breaks out. We stand in awe of their magical power. One can only find these hidden realms by pushing past the bounds of time and expectation. Eventually, eventually this song will stretch in 45 minutes, driving half the crowd for the exits. And there's <laughs> warned me that this song alone is costing us T-shirt sales. I end the song by breaking every string off with my bare hands, which I've seen. We are all fucked. It doesn't matter what T-shirt you're wearing when you figure that out. So there's Billy, which I I think that was really well written, and it, it, yeah, yeah, it's definitely uh, he's definitely full of himself, but I kind of love it in that sense. But uh, my thing with this song, it's another one of those like, you know, this should transcend those kind of guys. Like, yeah, I know what it's like to be into Megadeth and Slayer, and also be into this band. Right. And this is one of those songs that give you every reason in the world to be a fan of this band because they are different. Stop defending him, Joey. He's a jerk. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, nah. and they're throwing prog rock into grunge rock. How fucking dare they? No, I meant my um, friend, not uh, not not, oh. not Billy. <laughs> oh yeah, that asshole. He's okay. still living at home uh, with his mom, by the way. Yeah, yeah, fuck him. Well, I like them first. Okay, so you see, it's personal because like he he uh, takes uh, to this day credit for anything I've done musically. Oh, okay. Oof. <laughs> He's all just like you. He's also an only child. <laughs> oh, okay. So he he's basically like a uh, like a living at home version of Mike Love. Okay. All yeah, right. There you go. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, but yeah. You, Garrett. It's it's a killer track. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've uh, going to the Melancholy tour for me. I saw them at the height of their power in their quote heyday on, on the Melancholy sure. tour, and. Speaking of what he said about stretching out the encore, uh, had a great moment seeing this band, not just on that epic three-hour show. This was another three-hour show, uh, but this is where they do about two, two and a half hours. And I love the show. And I didn't think the show could have ended more perfectly because they ended on XYU, one of my favorite songs of Melancholy. So we did this weird thing. I went with my best friend, Chris, who's the CNC and J radio here okay, and uh, still best friends and podcasting partners and all that jazz. We went to this show together and I remember at the end of XYU and thinking, man, this crowd, the traffic's going to blow because it's a sold out show. 
and you know we're at reunion arena the late reunion arena the same uh, venue where the home sweet home video was filmed by the way and uh, oh nice. and also uh, former guest rob halford filmed the uh, turbo live show at reunion arena Ooh, as well right on um, so yeah, I saw this thing. We were like in the lower balcony. So show ends the, uh, you know, it, it's to where like all the lights in the entire house go up and there's music playing on the PA. We are hanging back, just waiting for people to leave, you know, give it 10, 15 minutes. I was, I had a license at this point. No mom waiting in the station wagon like it used to be. <laughs> Great episode, and, by uh, the way. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so this is uncharacteristic for us. We're usually kind of running out to try to beat the traffic. But this is the instance where I was just like, it was really out of character. We're like, let's gonna let's hang out. And I, I kid you not, 10, 15 minutes, we are about to get up and leave. We are standing up to go. And all of a sudden, all the pumpkins come back out on stage. Once again, with all the house lights on and the music playing on the PA, just general bullshit, right? Um, and then he goes, I guess it's safe to come back out now that all the MTV people are gone. And yeah, yeah. there were so little people left. Uh, he goes, well, we're going to play for, you know, now all the posers have gone. We're going to play for like, you know, another 45 minutes or something like that. We're like, holy shit. And so people start rushing the floor because it's so right. empty at this point. Yeah, yeah. And there's not even enough people to fill up the floor of this place. So – we actually made it on the floor just before security guards started tackling people that were trying to rush down. So we actually made it onto the floor. It was pretty great. They played like a 15 to 20 minute version of uh, Airplane Flies High. And then they played like a 40 minute version of Silverfuck. I mean, <laughs> just <laughs> the most over the top, like just stupid jam. Like they that just seems like a Melvin's thing to do. It's just like, yeah. Oh, it, it totally felt like a Melvin's thing. And I've seen the Melvin's. It's still one of the most memorable things I've ever seen live. The, you, you ever seen a band like just make you completely believe that they're gone. House lights up, everything's nope. going. And then they just come back out and play another mini set. The closest I can yeah. come is, is seeing a handful of times where flip played, locally here where they weren't supposed to and they got shut down by the police or they played longer i've been to a couple of shows where outdoors in a parking lot in minneapolis where all of a sudden like in the middle of a song the power got killed you know you saw the police first kind of show up and that kind of stuff but uh really on that level that you're talking i've never it, it and 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 I think like Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters go that extra mile to kind of deliver a certain kind of element to a show that makes it unique to the people that they're for. Nothing on that level yeah. that you're talking about. Nothing. No. Except Maybe for the one time that uh, Kiss played Beth as an encore. <laughs> yeah. That's a Dave Letterman style I've, joke there. I've, I've seen it with both singers. Okay. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh. And um, my only last thought on this song after the long-winded diatribe is sequencing <laughs> yeah. does matter. Why this isn't the closer, I don't understand. This should obviously be the closer on this album. I just don't think you can go anywhere else after it, and that's just me. Uh, but, yeah, I still love it to death. And for the experience that I had with it, uh, I'm not that it's as great as mayonnaise, but I'm going to give it also for the joke six Chicago Blackhawk Stanley <laughs> Cup trophies. Oh, okay. Now I'm gonna go boo, boo. Fuck C chord. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, this, the, as much as I kind of said, you know, I was kind of neutral on it. It's still got a fucking four for me. So yeah, I, I, there's, but it's not a four fucking Chicago Blackhawks fucking Stanley Cups, man. Okay, you, you you don't get to have Chicago and my team in Dallas. Okay, I'm sorry, Joey. I gotta cut 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 you off there. <laughs> I'm not uh, a Blackhawks fan. I just have to give credit there. And I, actually, I was uh, out of Chicago. Uh, my rating actually comes in at a four. Fuck you, Joey's. Uh, so oh, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> okay, we're getting towards well, the end. Can, if you can bend your toes, then you can flip me off four times. Ooh, so nice. Yeah. yeah. And uh, well, I can't, but I have duct tape. So uh, look for a picture of that for the episode art. Uh, <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah, the next song here is is really kind of more of a segue tune. Uh, it's it's sweet, sweet. basically a 90 second little kind of lead into Luna. I really would like to know what someone like Billy thinks of streaming with the hard cuts between songs that kind of lead into each other. I know this isn't exactly the most the the strongest example of what I'm talking about, you know, but you know a lot of concept albums like The Wall, it's like there's these hard gaps and stuff, but this is definitely one of those things. I mean, it it it, it floats right into Luna and uh to me that that's got to piss him off, right? As someone who puts so much time and effort into this stuff to have fucking, you know, have fucking assholes listening to this on Spotify and there's like this yeah. little gap they basically just like put this on the delete pile or something like that you you really don't ex- yeah. you don't experience the album experience and streaming is all i'm getting at there and yeah. i yeah, guess even even on an ipod shuffle if you go one generation back it's still kind of a rough one so yeah exactly so but that said uh i i do like it i think it's kind of cute i think it's a perfect spot to put it and 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 it doesn't really do much for me as a standalone song, but for where it is and what it's doing and its purpose on the record, I gave it to five, whatever your rating is. It's it's a nice little song. Maybe if it was the last song, you know, like in a sense, like kind of like, you know, like the way the Beatles would, you know, put something, you know, something like at the end of the White Album, like yeah. maybe it would have been a better album closer, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's fine. It's it's short. It's uh, that's all I can really say about it. So I give it three subway cars, which isn't very interesting. But the song's not super interesting either. <laughs> Fair enough. We uh, we take it then to the closer, uh, Luna. It's it's a it's definitely a love song, 
which there's not actually a whole lot of love songs on this album, but Billy said in his notes that uh, he wrote this. Uh, this is definitely during the off again part of being in a relationship with Courtney Love. So this is the song that actually is about Courtney Love. And sometimes he says it's not, but then like specifically in the booklet, and you're going to love this because I love this. Uh, this is a quote. I am in love with someone that doesn't love me. My songs are better than hers. This is my way to prove a point not worth making. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's, it, I like the comment better than I like the song. It's oh. much like sweet, sweet. It's a fine, it's a fine little song. And I just, I don't know. Maybe I just, I might've cashed out a lot, uh, listening to it as a youth and just turning it off after silver fuck. So I apologize. I just don't have the nostalgia for these last two songs. So for that reason, it kind of goes out with a whimper for me. So I can only really give this song three Chicago Cubs World Series championships. Hmm. Uh, do they have three? Yeah, I had to look it up. Thank okay. you, Wikipedia. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> Obviously, I ran out of Chicago references because I ended up with subway cars and a Cubs reference. So The, the name Luna, to me, first of all, I never liked the song title Soma. And I like the name Luna less. Uh, and to me, they're, they're, they're just two four-letter, two-syllable song titles that, that are kind of interchangeable. Uh, especially, you really could switch the song titles to those two songs, and it really wouldn't matter too much. But it is a nice yeah. song. It's dreamy. It's a great closer to an album. Another song, though, that like at this point, like I don't know that I needed it. Uh, I, I'm with you. I think he could have ended with Silver Fuck, but uh, the the fact that he didn't, this is a key part in the album structure it, when you look at it that way. So as a as the whole concept of the whole record comes together, this gets four Chicago World Series or Chicago Cubs World Series for me. But as a standalone song, probably two to three, something like that. But yeah, Billy no, Billy's no. comment probably raises it to about a, a 14, uh, honestly. How great uh, is that? In, my, in, my any chance you get, get to dump on an ex-girlfriend and and Courtney Love at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, that's, to me, that's seven dicks up. <laughs> no question about it. And he wrote great material for her. I'll give him that. Like, the most listenable whole songs are written by Billy Corrigan. I'm just going to yeah, say it. Right. <laughs> I think I think that's fairly common knowledge. Um, uh, I definitely can't wait to get to that fucking record. Spoiler well, you're alert. only going to get to the one that Cobain wrote, so. Oh, that's right. Yeah, oh, no celebrity fuck. skin on the list. Wait, no, no. Uh, it, it, wait, celebrity skin is the one Billy wrote? or? Yeah. Okay, sorry. My bad. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's the other one, right? Uh, yeah, live through this. Oh, shit. Whatever. Either way, whole sucks. Courtney Love is a pile of uh, human garbage. She might as well be our president. Um, but not to get political. I like to give uh, uh, the, the, the guest of each episode the final thoughts, so I'll share mine first. I think my brain really wants to like gish better. You know what I mean? Like in in the back of my head before I was listening to this today, I, I, if you would have asked me like what which record's better, I would have just instinctively said gish. I, I just hmm. really haven't listened to this album in, in that long. It, it, gish included, by the way. But listening back, it, it really did remind me of how much time this CD was in my fucking CD player, man. It crossed over different groups of friends, like I described throughout this. Uh, Despite playing along with some of the tracks on guitar, I've also spent 
hours, I mean, around a keg in a basement or a garage or something like that with just trying to get laid or impress a girl or just have have a laugh with a couple of guys you know at the end of the evening but this was a record that i i could also listen to like turning off the lights and just sitting alone and listening to it and kind of relating to some of the more darker aspects of the lyrics and, and things of that that nature but uh production wise I know quite a this was quite an undertaking, but I've never actually cared for the sound of the vocals. I don't I just don't think they're recorded that well. It's not Billy's voice. Like you touched on earlier, a lot of people just don't like the sound of his voice, which whatever. To each his own. I, I've never had a problem with the sound of his voice. But the best term I could come up with to, to uh, describe it is that it sounds cheap. It sounds like they just didn't have the right equipment, like a, like a cheap mic, or the they didn't process it or modulate it properly. But that that's really a minor criticism. I think you can take away from most of my my ratings here. But the last thing I have to say is that the, the I, I listened to the deluxe remaster this last week, and there it really has too much bottom end. This record was already pretty beefy. I'll take the original CD re- CD release. Uh, that said, be, it, it's because of records like this that Butch Vig would actually agree to do records like L7, where he could just basically take a nap and cash a check. So, well done. Take a bow, Billy. Take a bow, Butch. This is a uh, this is a masterpiece. Uh, we'll get we'll get to your rating here in a second. I put this all the way up from number twelve to number six. Your final thoughts, Joey. Uh, it's one of the albums that got me through high school, so I'm going to love it forever. And it's uh, I definitely agree with pretty much everything you said there. I don't have as much of a problem with the vocals. I, I don't notice that as much, and I am a production nerd. Yeah. Uh, also, take about Jimmy. Nerd. Jimmy is definitely, yeah, Jimmy is one of the heroes of this album for sure, and just of oh, the band I, in general. Absolutely. Thank you for, for bringing him up. Yeah, and thank you, James, for co-writing two great songs on this so he, he deserves credit once again darcy gets no credit um, <laughs> i'm surprised i thought you'd uh, be yeah, a darcy uh, a fan for some reason but um mad, no, mad respect no they're they're better without her i mean you know the melancholy tour was great but that you know uh, that that show was so great that i didn't even see a jimmy chamberlain show and it was still great so but that all being said um yeah i, I love this album enough to have uh, here's another nerd one I, not only did I do that cover, but the only reason I was able to do that is because I did buy like the, the, the cherry publishing, whatever, the, the tab book. I bought the tab book for this record, and I can't say that about a lot of records. I had to learn how to play it exactly the way I heard it on record because it's just so complex. And I gave up on a lot of it. I didn't learn how to play most of this album. But, you know, I can play it along rhythmically to about half of it. Uh, so, Yeah. Uh, I, I don't really have like a, a number to give you as far as overall points, but I can definitely tell you probably no surprise to anybody listening or to you or even to me. This one shoots all the way to the top. Number one with a massive bullet on this list, even though at the end of the day, I still do not consider this a grunge record. And I'm not saying that to hate on the genre. No, no, I get I'm just it. saying it doesn't, doesn't sound like anything else on this list with the exception of purple, which is my second favorite on this list. And people will also talk about them as not being a grunge band, but I have um I have a pretty loose perception of what I consider grunge. I, I, I really haven't had a record on here that I'm like, no, it doesn't count. I'm I'm good with all of it. Okay. And your boy Randy, he was like L seven was uh one of two. I can't remember I can't, shit, I can't remember his other one. Uh, the one that we did, uh shit. 
Uh, he thought the Melvins and L Seven were the only fucking real grunge albums on the on the list. So <laughs> I love Randy. He's he's a snob, but I love him. He's a true alternative, as I say. No, so. and if you're into podcasting, you need somebody who can uh, commit to an opinion too. So yeah, he's uh, he's uh, very good at that. <laughs> yeah, love you, Randy. Oh well, Joey. Why don't we uh, tell the people exactly why you're on the show, where they can find you, and promote yourself a little bit here, bitch. I'm sorry, yeah. nerd. Yeah, I was gonna say that. That definitely fits it a lot more. Come on, nerd. Uh, I would go back and forth though. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I either host, co-host, or involved in the production with six different podcasts. They're all on the website cnjradio.com. Uh, the the main show that I focus on is Rock Strikes Ten. That's my rock show. Uh, but yeah, everything on cnjradio.com. Rock Strikes 10, Wrestling House Show, Last Theater, Talking Rock, I Am Vinyl. Did I say all six? I'm not sure. You, <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed oh, to count. Oh, oh sorry. I got, I got I got. I got. Lay this in. Sorry. And uh, the aforementioned Randy Brown on the Synaptic Empire audio transmissions. Uh, but I'm really proud of all these shows. These are shows, uh, especially the one that I don't mainly host. I would listen to all these shows even if I wasn't on them or was involved in them in some way. So take a lot of pride in them, and uh, so yeah, give me a chance, uh, give me some, make me look bitchin', review all that stuff, subscribe, and uh, you know find the Facebook, it's all there. So yeah, cnjradio.com, all the links are there. And only because of today, I really encourage anybody listening to go out and leave a review that gives them five stars or whatever highest rating, and the only comment be nerd. All all, ca- be, all caps with an exclamation point. Yeah. It's, it's much better Joe. than being trolled by. All of a sudden, Joey's pulling out the Baco voodoo doll. <laughs> well, I would appreciate that way more than being trolled by shows that don't exist to give me one star. Sorry. Uh, there's proof that he listens to every episode. <laughs> oh, my Lord, Joey. It was a blast talking to you. Oh, likewise, man. Uh, I just... Once again, I, I'm gonna put you over. Like I've really been enjoying whatever. Never mind. And like a lot of people, I didn't know that I would in advance. But I love me a good album breakdown because I am a nerd. Uh, but uh, Cobras and Fire is like really one of the only shows on one hand that I can count that I stay current with. Love it, and it's just great to be on the feed. It's an honor, and uh, thank you so much. It's always great spending time with you. Oh, thank you so much, man, Joey. You know I love having you on the show, and uh, and, and of course I look forward to every time we talk. Whatever. All right, never mind.
my brain is just uh, swarming right now with different <laughs> possible combinations. Do you know what uh, WAP stands for? Yeah, no, I know what it stands for. Okay, yeah, well, wet ass pussy. Yeah, so SAP wow. baby, it's not just an Allison Chains EP. Okay, well, uh, I look for Michael Sweet to never be on the program again anymore. I, uh, I uh, probably will have to cut that out. Uh, yeah, he will. He will not be calling on you if you leave that in. Oh, just for that joke alone, and I have to squeeze it in somehow. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 